Welcome back to the Transforming Cities podcast. Each episode highlights ideas around rethinking the way cities are evolving. We discuss planning, design, technology, development, and other fields that contribute to the urban experience. On this episode, we're speaking with Alex Ryden, founder of Guest House. You know, at the end of the day, you just really need to understand what you're doing and, and staying engaged as a method of response is just so much more positive uh, long term. I mean, half of it is what is what you're doing right now with the podcast is, is half of it's just asking the right questions. Alex is an Emmy Award winning creative leader with over a decade of experience working with brands, including Lyft, Amazon, Spotify, Facebook, W Hotels, The North Face and Oakley. Today, Alex is building a few startups of his own, including Guest House, a real estate staging company that's turning homes into retail stores for local makers. I'm your host, Chris Arnold. Let's get started. Alex, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So I know based on our conversations that you're not a stranger to the world of creative thinking. Where did that come from as you grew up? (laughs) Yeah, I, I grew up in California and my dad's a really awesome, interesting guy and was a primary breadwinner for the family for a long time, but he was self-employed. He had his own um, landscape design and architecture business. So I really grew up watching him kind of create a way to make money on the daily. Like he didn't show up, you know, he wasn't a company man. He didn't show up and just collect a paycheck and kind of be on a conveyor belt in that way. So there was like pros and cons to his approach to the professional world, but but he, he had built a really successful landscape business, and I kind of saw him adapt to some market change and, and get creative with, you know, what he was delivering as as far as landscaping product, and really just always admired his hustle. I think really like people people sometimes call it creativity, other people call it hustle, and I think, you know, I, a lot of that was instilled in me watching him, you know, support our family. So. From that, I definitely have had full-time jobs, but I'm always I'm always kind of thinking about the next thing and the, and the way to uh, adapt and change and build something that you know I'm proud of. So I think a lot of it starts from the family for sure. <laughs> was there any uh, moment in time where you kind of think back and and it was sort of a a turning point for you as far as motivation goes, or like a spark of passion started to grow within you, like based on seeing your dad's work ethic over the years? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I just remember like being in college, right? Where like the focus, I went to college at UC Santa Barbara and first couple of years, I think the focus was definitely on surfing and chugging beers, which is fine. (laughs) But then you start realizing, you know, start getting a little bit of that pressure on like, what happens when I graduate? What am I going to do? And my major was something that was a little more unconventional and, you know, communications and global studies, I double majored. And so there wasn't like a clear linear path for me coming out of college. So I think, you know, just setting myself up that way kind of sparked like, well, in not pigeonholing myself into being an accountant or, you know, something like that, I'm kind of setting myself up to really do <laughs> kind of anything. So I think, you know, I, I had some business ideas in college that we tried out and a couple of them you know, supported me a little bit like right after school. And, and that was, that was H Carriers, which is a bag brand where, you know, we decided to make luggage. My, my good friend and I in college, it was his art project. He designed the bags. I found the factory 
And we got a bunch of bags made and started selling them to our friends when they started graduating and said like, Hey, like, you know, don't take your to kind surf bag to the job interview. Like here's a, here's a good solid bag that will help, help you get the job. So yeah, yeah that's funny. Did. The, the kind bet, the, the kind bag, I'm sure that was a, a pretty hot item on the coast out there. For sure. I mean, it, this is, <laughs> this is way before Herschel too. I mean, Herschel honestly start addressed the same category we were interested in, except they did it at like a 10th of the price. Yeah. So that's what happens when you don't make things in America, you can do that. So, but we were both balancing that main made in America commitment with like what our friends could afford. And at the end of the day, we realized this is a very boutique business because you can't scale, you can't scale something that's, you know, trying to solve too many needs at one time. And I have a lot of lessons learned from that business, which I've carried over into other endeavors since. But yeah, I mean, I think I think that was for sure the the spark that kind of set me on a more creative path. For sure, you have an entrepreneurial spirit. I, I think it sounds like from our conversations and and the story you just recounted, you know, a big part of it does come from from seeing your father and kind of growing up and with the lens of entrepreneurship and hard work. I know a big part of your uh, history has to do with with writing, copywriting, and I want to know from you how did that evolve, or, or maybe taking a step further back, how did that even come to be as an early career choice? For sure. So I really started writing initially as a focus in in high school. It started because I honestly sucked at it. <laughs> so anything that you suck at, you kind of think about a little bit more, actually, which is the ironic thing. So I really like honed in on like, why, why am I, you know, not getting good grades? I had straight A's in all of high school. So I really wanted to focus on like, why is, why is this getting me B's and C's and stuff like that? So I sat with my teacher and really, you know, began talking about this idea of like critical thinking, critical writing, which is just having like an, a, a unique opinion on a subject and really just fleshing that out in a, in a logical way. So just building your argument, like any essay or any op-ed or any feature piece. So I learned that skill early on and, and started progressing. And then also living in California, I had a love for action sports and surf and skateboarding and snowboarding. And I felt a lot of a lot of drive to work in that industry when I was in high school and going into college. So my first internship was with Transworld Surfing and I worked with them for a summer and then they hired me to write for them in college to give me beer money. (laughs) (laughs) So that was my beer money job. And I soon wrote for like Surfing Magazine, Surfer, Surfline, a lot of different kind of publications. And yeah, so kind of had a link to action sports through that way. And you know, again, I think action sports at that time is what like home goods and furniture is to me at this time. Like <laughs> it's, it was just hyper relevant. It was everything I was into is everything my friends were into. It's what we were talking about. Like, Oh, did you surf today? Are you getting to the beach? What board did you just get? What, you know, Oh, did you get a new skateboard? Like that whole world was that's, that was the culture. Right, um, yeah. So I think I have always just been very attracted to like, you know, what's important, what's the core culture and like, just being, you know, in a role of storytelling around it. So yeah, I did that for for a while and and then looked at, you know, in college, like, you know, coming out of it, 
it was the same time where people were saying, you know, print is dead and publications were having to adapt to the digital world and, and figure out how, you know, now people are getting their content from like things like, you know, Instagram at the time and Tumblr and all these other spaces that weren't printed and coming to your mailboxes monthly. So there was a lot of anxiety and, and shift going on in the publication world that wasn't super positive coming out of college. So I looked to like, well, how else can I grow a career again through that creative lens? Like that's a little more alternative and fun and, and not just showing up to a place because they're going to pay me. So I started working for a small creative agency in San Diego hourly and, and really enjoyed working for them. It's called Vapor Studio and Ricardo Camargo is still the owner there and we have a great relationship. But they're, they were like a branding and design agency for kind of the higher end like surf, surf brands. So like, you know, worked on everything from penny skateboards to uh, like New Balance and, and Adidas and stuff and um, just small projects. But the, the funny thing about like LinkedIn is even small projects can look really big for whatever reason you put a name yeah. that you put. And all of a sudden I got, I was getting hit up by a recruiter out of Colorado. This is when I was 23 uh, or 22, sorry. And, and they were like, Hey, we're, we're looking for a copywriter. We have a huge account and we really need someone that has a background in surf and active sports. And it seems like you're the perfect fit. Like, would you be interested in coming out here and like checking out? And I'd never been to Denver so I said, why not? So I flew out and it was factory design labs as a business. And I really liked the office and, and the vibe of everyone there. And I uh, discovered who the client was. It was Oakley and North Face. And I was like, going to be the writer and be doing kind of, you know, billboards and print ads and TV spots. And I was like, wow, this is crazy. Like, I got to try this at least for a year. Yeah, not, so, too, not too bad of an offer, huh? Yeah, yeah. So I moved out and... Did that, and eight years later, I'm still here, <laughs> not working at the same place, doing very different things. Right. But I think something about Colorado, whether it was what what the agency was doing, and also what Colorado was going through at the same time, I think the timing was really great for me to to try the state out and and keep me here, because it was it, every year that I would think about going back home and trying something there is just like, oh, but Union Station just opened. Oh, like you know, uh, Denver Central Market just opened. Like so many things were just constantly happening like summer over summer. And it was just like, you you want to be around for for that type of exciting kind of growth in a city. And, and to be totally honest, California isn't going through that right now. It's too expensive to do anything like that. So yeah, it's, it's been, it's been interesting. And, and for the listeners that, that kind of don't know the factory design labs piece, it's a now defunct agency, but it was a it was an agency that sort of started like any other agency, and then sort of had a, a meteoric rise to the top. Um, I would say you were along for for a you know a few years of that ride, and I want to know you know going from school college to that you know a little bit of uh, you know work experience, but then going right into that that space in in Denver. What experiences? did you take away from that looking back now? Oh, wow. Yeah, a lot. I mean, I did a lot of like professional and personal growing up there for sure. Nothing will make you realize you're, you know, in the best way possible, pretty insignificant than a, than an agency that's pleasing their clients. So really getting, you know, ego out of the way and realizing that it's about, it's about 
the work and the client and not about what necessarily you want to do on a daily basis, which I think is a really valuable takeaway from me that I apply to really anything we're doing now. I, I think it's very easy to build businesses that you want to see and you think are great and you are proud of and you, 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 but the best businesses are the ones that are actually identifying a real need and delivering on, you know, whoever that client is in the best way possible. So, you know, that's something that I really took away from factory was getting yourself and your, your opinion and your, you can definitely have an opinion, but getting your own kind of needs and expectations out of the way and like looking at, you know, building a business or building creative or whatever you're making as like client and and need centered and and spending the time. I think even at factory, we didn't spend enough time understanding what the client's real needs were. We always made assumptions and it's easy to do that when you're moving in a fast paced environment. But, you know, getting a real sense of someone's business needs, like that's the easiest way to, or business or personal needs, that's the easiest way to build any business because Mm -hmm you're just going to have something that's really positive because it's helping this guy over here. It's helping that woman over there and everyone's benefiting from it. Whether you're crushing it or not, the little impact you're making in those circles, if it's, if it's focused and it's hitting a real need, it's going to be felt and, and you're going to be building a really great thing. You know, something that you told me that I really like is you said, instead of getting reactionary, you learned how to be engaged. And I thought that that was such a poignant way of sort of describing what I think happens with a lot of creative minds, especially young creative minds, as they evolve in the workplace and they evolve with, you know, projects, you sort of, um, like you said, you set that ego aside and it becomes what's best for the client rather than what you think is best based on those initial reactions and kind of the, what do I want to do now with this? Totally. I mean, it's, it's easy. It's a human, it's a human way to just be defensive and, and be, you know, reactionary when you feel like you're wrong and want to explain yourself and prove to someone why that's the right way. But, you know, at the end of the day, you just really need to understand what you're doing and, and staying engaged as a method of response is just so much more positive uh, long term. I mean, half of it is what is what you're doing right now with the podcast is is half of it's just asking the right questions. So just understanding the questions to ask to figure out the best answer for anything, whether it's something as small as a little banner ad, (laughs) or something as big as a TV spot or a a global brand campaign. Yeah, Uh, I think it's just about really asking the right questions and, you know, building really healthy strategy around anything that you're doing. So let's, let's kind of circle back to that age carriers project, because I think this starts to combine that entrepreneurial spirit that you have, it combines the experience that you were gaining over time with with writing and telling a story and kind of understanding the needs of, of the market in this case. Before we jump forward into what you're working on today, Give us a sense of that, that kind of the, the cliff notes of the Age Carriers project. Why, why did that get started? Yeah, so Age Carriers, I kind of was saying a little before, but that was a bag brand that my good friend and I started because we saw a need for you know, high quality backpacks, duffel bags, briefcases, 
for our friends that were graduating and going into the workforce. So there wasn't something that people felt really comfortable buying at the time that was in between like something you buy at like Neiman Marcus and something you buy at a surf shop. So like menswear as a category, which is what it exists as today, really hadn't grown that large in in places like California, like New York, it definitely existed. And there, there are smaller brands there. But amongst our circles, there wasn't, there wasn't really a bag that existed that way. So we started this business, Jake started it as his art class final project. And he made a backpack out of paper. <laughs> and the teacher was like, this is pretty cool. You guys should make it. So he came to me and we said, wait, what do you know about making bags? You know anything? And I was like, I know nothing, but let's go learn. So we found a factory in Ventura. And I still remember that meeting. And this guy was just like sitting, like kind of staring at us. Like, you you want me to make one bag? <laughs> <laughs> and we we're like, well, like how much is a prototype? You know, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, it's going to be like 350 bucks. And we're like, oh my God, that's so much money. So we we still did it. And we made we made our backpack and kind of, you know, it was it was definitely a little bulky and wasn't really something that you necessarily would see popping off the shelves. But that, that original design stayed true through what the eventual sold product would be. And it was, you know, very minimal approach to design, like kind of Dieter Rams in mind. And when we graduated, we, we kind of sold, started selling these bags to our friends because say, hey, like they need a bag, they'll buy it. So, you know, we got everything produced. Eventually in San Diego, our first line was this bag collection called Shelter Collection, and it was all made from military uh, tents from the Vietnam War. And you know, it's antique brass hardware, like really high end leather, like just things that you weren't ever seeing as as like a college kid. Like everything's canvas and fake leather and all that stuff. So even we were just seeing our friends getting these, like, you know, this it's kind of instilled a sense of confidence a little bit going into a job interview or something. You're like, damn, I look good. This thing's nice. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, so we thought it was cool. So we, we, we were like, wow, like let's keep doing this. And, and, you know, slowly, slowly grew the business through working with retailers. We couldn't make it work. We just didn't have the money. We didn't raise any money to be able to have a marketing budget online. And, and really at the time, Facebook ads weren't as dynamic as they are today. There wasn't it wasn't as easy to build audiences. You really needed someone to help you set all that up. And we had no idea. So plus there are probably half as many users on Facebook as there are today. So we uh, we were kind of, you know, conflicted because because at the same time it was like, oh, like we started seeing like Warby Parker come out, right? And they're like doing direct. And we were like, damn, like that's a cool approach because you keep all the money and you yeah, don't right. give away half the retailer. But we really saw this need and this opportunity for bags because it was something we didn't believe that people could fall in love with online. We we felt you needed to pick it up, you needed to touch it, feel it, put it on your back, things that you couldn't do online. That Warby Parker was trying to fight and just ship people a bunch of pairs and you pick one and send the rest back. Well, our model, it would just be too many bags in, in one package. So we continue to go the retailer route. And that's something that really is what drove the eventual founding of, of Guest House because we were so in love with so many of these stores that we worked with. Like we were the ultimate fanboys of like going to New York and doing shop tours or going to Vancouver and doing shop tours. Like all these shops were just nailing it. Like you wanted to hang out there for hours. Like these weren't 
these weren't weird places we would kind of walk in and you know not really know what they're selling or it's too trendy or whatever like these all these places literally felt like home you know you just like sit in there and hang out and really got to know a lot of the shop owners and buyers and we sold in stores across the u.s from new york to to houston to even up in canada and vancouver and working with places obviously in santa barbara and la san diego and really like we, we we were going the wholesale route we wanted to keep scaling keep going and all stuff but yeah wholesale is great because they have budgets right they they can buy it they're putting in orders you're not waiting for someone to click add to cart online but where wholesale is a challenge is also the fact that you have a lot of competition and at the time there are a lot of other bags getting made and people that had teams of reps that were in these cities and getting in there before we could get a reorder. And it just really started frustrating us a lot. And so we were like, oh, this has got to be fun. Like, that's why we started this. We weren't living off the business. We were still both doing things in the creative industry. I was actually at Factory during this time. And Jake's actually a really great product designer. He's the main designer for this eyewear brand in California called Sean's California that sells in like Neiman Marcus and all these places now. So Jake was doing kind of the sunglass thing and I was doing factory, but we're both like, we want this to work, like, you know, but we're putting so much pressure on it yeah. and, and all this stuff. So we just said, Hey, like, let's take a chill, chill pill. Let's not do any re- reorders and let's just see kind of how stuff sells through and go from there. But yeah. then a lot of the stores we were working with all of a sudden started closing, like kind of one after another, after like sending our bags back and like all this stuff. And we're like, I thought these guys were killing it. Like, this is awesome. Like what, what was going on here? Like what happened? And really what, what what's happening is, is, you know, at this time is more and more stuff is being bought online. So now they're getting not only competition from shops opening up in their neighborhood that are just newer and trendier or whatever, but they're, they're getting competition from shops that are opening up exclusively online that are just doing drop shipping and brands that are launching online and all these like subscription boxes, like, bespoke posts and, you know, different, different kind of methods of, of getting clothes monthly or bags monthly. So there's just so much competition to the store because none of those places had is rising rent costs and rent has just continued to rise kind of year over year in all these major cities Mm -hmm. um, coming out of really starting in 2011 is when we're working with them. So we just were like, Oh my gosh, like retail is such a crazy world. Like, we, you know, it's this, this dope, it's, it's this really kind of challenging thing, right? Because on one end, people do need to see things in person, period. There are certain things that I still believe people need to see in person before they buy it online. And I have so much evidence to prove that, whether it's couches or bags, things that have been returned personally to me, because it's very different when they get it in person than what they saw online, right? Yeah, absolutely. Not that it's worse but maybe it didn't fit their expectations. But so there's that side, right? Where people need to see stuff in person. But then there's the other side where stores cost a lot of money to run. They have human capital, they have the rent costs, they have utilities, like that just adds up. So really I've been very interested in this space ever since we saw that whole thing like fly on the wall with age carriers is like, what's the future of retail? Like, what is the future? I don't think it's all online that it could exist that way. Yeah. And so let me, let's put a pin in that because what I want to do is get your high level overview of guest house first. And then let's jump right back into the flow of that story because it has a really cool cadence to it about 
how you transitioned from one thing to the other with what you're doing today. And it's really interesting. So before we get into that story, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag a little bit here (laughs) and just say you you have started something called Guest House. So before we jump back into that story, in your own words, what is Guest House? Yeah. So Guest House is a real estate staging company that furnishes beautiful properties with furniture, art, and goods from the best local makers. So every home we stage can be shopped in person or online at guesthouseshop.com. So we really turn the realtors open house hours into like open store hours. So we don't pay rent costs. We don't have makers pay to be in the showroom. We really give realtors a, a really valuable set of inventory and pieces that they can use to market the space, but then also help us help the makers sell. So yeah, and, and that concept, guest house, was actually started by accident. And this kind of brings us back into the flow of that story yeah. with the bags. And so so take it away. How did how did Guest House evolve? So so Guest House started because circling back to that story, we were just at this weird point in Age's career where we just said, like, what is what is the way? And so we were dabbling with finding retail space in Denver because I still was living here and I was the business side of this and Jake hates selling. So that was never gonna happen in San Diego. And I this is kind of looking for retail space, thinking about, you know, getting some interns for the summer or something to help us run it or whatever, and just figuring out how we could build this business with the least amount of cost because we just didn't want to raise money. Like we just it was such a personal thing that even bringing in someone else to like help and and this is a huge learning to to help like consult or guide. It was just such 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 a personal thing that it like just never resonated super well with us. It was like, no, like we started this in college, like we're gonna figure it out. Kind of a prideful getting back to the whole ego thing. So we were looking for retail space. Everything was kind of expensive. This is geez, two years ago, I guess. Everything was kind of expensive. And we just said, like, okay, you know, how like how can we do this? And I bought a place in Jefferson Park at the time and realized the zoning when I was making the purchase was it was zoned MS3. And in Denver, that means Main Street, three stories, but it, it means because it's Main Street zoning, it's mixed use. So you can be residential in the space or you can be commercial or you can be a mix of both. So I decided to, you know, when we moved in, I decided to like, hey, like, what if we just started selling bags out of here on the weekends, like Fridays and Saturdays, have some coffee espresso going for people and they they can kind of stroll in off the street. It's at 26 and Elliott. I still live here, but it's not it's not a shop. So don't, <laughs> don't, <laughs> so knock so don't come by. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was an old Victorian. We painted it all white, like kind of great, like welcoming, charming base that still felt really modern and kind of made the updates we wanted to it. So we had people come through like Fridays and Saturdays, come come shop our bags, you know, we're right by Sartos where you know people are starting to walk around this neighborhood more and more. And we had a little sandwich board sign outside and, and people would just kind of like come in. They'd be like, what is this a store? Like kind of <laughs> this weird kind right. of like processing going on in their mind because it's true. It's like how many times you just like walk into someone's house when there's not like a big realtor sign out in the front. So they kind of walk in and, and I explain kind of the concept and how we had the bags and ask if they want coffee. And not everyone walking in off the street is looking for a bag, but they were interested in like, the house. They're like, what's going on in here? There's like a shop in a house. So um, suddenly people started asking like, well, like I, I, the bags are cool, but 
what about your couch and what about your lamp and what about your rug and what about this ceramic piece? And I'm like, oh, whoa, so interesting. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's from Target. That's from Craigslist. That's from like an antique shop. That's from my friend. Like none of that's for sale, but maybe it could be. So, so that's really where the business started was by seeing how people kind of, you know, explore my house. They wanted to know more about the space than just the bags. And we said, well, let's, let's give them that. So we, we decided to test out the concept and we swapped out everything we owned for products from local makers we really loved and worked with from doing things like the flea and other markets. And the public started coming in on the weekends and shopping our space. So this was not just about bags. This was about everything inside. And we let people know that like anything you can see, you can buy like literally a coffee mug or little candle or sing a sage or whatever, like smallest details. And we styled it in a way that like wasn't styled. Like we like left it like after we had friends over, like whatever, like that's how stuff was. Cause we wanted it to feel authentic and like a real house. And like you weren't walking into this department store where you felt like you're being sold to, like you felt like you were home, like those retail stores that we really loved and, and worked with with age carriers. So we continued to do that. And then after a few months, you know, my, my fiance's kind of logical side of our family and she's the accountant literally. And she was like, you know, I don't think this makes sense to like scale this here. There's just, it's just too weird. There's too many people coming through on the weekends. We yeah. don't have no privacy. And I'm like, all right, you're right. So really like thought through, like, how can we build this to be a little bit bigger and talking with some friends in real estate, Jorgen Jensen, a slate real estate, he's a good friend of mine really just talking with him and like, I was like, you know, could we do this in your homes? And he's like, yeah, that's called staging. Let's do it. And I was like, okay, cool. I had no idea what staging was at the time. And we started with the four seasons. That was the first home we ever did. We, it was like $2 million condo and we just, you know, paid movers to get all this stuff off the freight elevators and, you know, had, um, I might, the, the designer at the time was actually one of my friends who's a brand owner of Huga Life is the name of that brand. And she helped me like style everything and, and get the tables out and, and just make it look really good. And then we had our friend shoot it, Luca Venter, who lives in New York now. Um, and he shot the space and like, really like, we're just trying to figure out like, how does this thing, how does this thing work in a like repeatable way? Because <laughs> yeah, we're just right. up right now, right? So we just did that that way, just for whatever reason, it was like a day of staging, a day of styling and a photo shoot. And then after that was all done, Jorgen's partner, Stan, literally like after we're done styling it and shooting, um, brings someone up from like below, maybe on the second or third floor who already lived in the building and uh, brings them up. 20 minutes later, it gets an offer for, for full asking price on the unit and it had been on the market for like eight weeks before that and nothing. So we were like, wow, like <laughs> pretty good we're proof of concept pretty, there. Yeah, we're batting pretty well. So maybe we keep doing this. So, you know, we continued to do a lot of projects with Slate and really stuck with them for the first year and building like, you know, what is a staging business and what do realtors expect getting back to the whole core needs thing? Like what are the core needs of a realtor? What are the core needs of a homeowner and expecting staging? And continued to provide a, a really great outlet through that for our makers and, and these other brands that we knew were dealing with the same retail headache that we were like yeah. just, and yeah. so 
Yeah. So, sorry, sorry to cut you off, but I, yeah, I want to I want to touch on that because that to me is a really important part of the guest house story, which has to do with well, you're not only solving kind of the, the inventory problem with with staging today, and you can talk about that, but you already kind of alluded to local makers being such a huge part of your process. Can you explain to the listeners, you know, how that gets wrapped into to each house or each property that you stage? Totally. So lo- local makers for us, you know, we, we were with age carriers, we were by definition, a local maker. I mean, we were making everything in California. We weren't making it ourselves, but we were designing it and, and working on the same kind of level as a lot of these makers we work with. So we inherently understood the needs of businesses of that size, just through having frustrations with our own business. And so we just are very driven to support that audience, not not just because we know them and are friends with them, but because we really believe in what buying local represents and it represents community and it represents sustainability. It represents responsibility and you know being a good being a good citizen in, in your city. So we have been very driven to have an outlet for them. And yeah, we didn't see that there was there was an outlet for local furniture and home goods really in Denver where people could just consistently go to and and use as a resource. Yet there are so many people making stuff. So we really set out and built the business to support who that maker was at the core and and who they are is like, you know, at least from our understanding, is someone who's really passionate and 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 really driven to at least get even to the point where you're making stuff and you have it on an Etsy shop and you're selling it. Like that takes a lot of courage, like to sell something that's so personal that you're just making that that you want to scale and support yourself off one day. And then there's makers that have already done that and that are further along and have you know, they're doing like half a million dollars a year in sales, like through restaurant build outs and things like that. So we work, you know, kind of across the board, but what we understand as core needs for them is sales. So giving them a good sales outlet, and that's something we're improving with every home we do, but we are still a small business as well. We're giving them photography, which is huge to secure a space that is as beautiful as the homes we're staging plus get a stylist, plus get a photographer, plus get like all the other props to style your pieces with. I mean, that's going to cost you two to $3,000. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that, that in itself is the inherent value of, of why people continue to work with us home over home. Yeah, we sell pieces for certain brands and they're very happy about that. But I think the real value of what we're delivering is that photography and then that exposure. So we've really worked hard to make sure that we're balancing like what they need from for photos with what we're delivering. And then the exposure piece, like they just want to be known about. There's a reason why the Denver Flea exists. Yeah, people can have their best sales weekends there of all time. But the main thing is they just want to be out there and having the public discover who they are and 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 know what they're making and and kind of learn their story. So that's what we're tasked with is like the 300 makers we work with is knowing those stories, telling those stories. And that's something that we're improving and working hard to improve more with every home. So I think those are the three core needs that we understand. And it's why we can work well with makers. And I think that they're just 
they're just motivating. You know, we do work with bigger brands for things like sofas. We work with Interior Define and Made in Home as their only like Colorado showroom for these pieces. But really the people who who we pride ourselves in working with are these makers, like just beyond the fact that that we love supporting stuff locally, like the the, the pieces they're making are amazing. Like a, everything from furniture art to ceramics and home goods that they're even sourcing from, you know, places like Africa, like everyone's bringing such a creative approach to their craft. And that comes through in, in the spaces. There's just no way to put our, our staged homes up to another home stager here in Denver and be like, which one stands out? Like ours clearly does. Cause everything in that photo, there's a chance you haven't seen before. So yeah. it just is this really fresh take on staging that we're we're matching like that maker need with the with the realtor need for for higher quality staging. So yeah, I mean bes- and then besides the fact that like makers mean they're real people, like we're very people centered and love meeting people and and discovering who they are and working with cool people. So I mean that just comes with the model as it grows. So And so for guest house, what what would you say your pitch is to interested parties? I mean, clearly the attention to detail on the maker side is a huge differentiator. And something else that I'm curious about is sort of the, the maybe the staleness of traditional staging as being a, a core part or maybe the second part of, of the business model. But what does that pitch sound like to, to someone who kind of knocks on your door? Yeah, so the pitch is obviously different whether it's a maker or a realtor. But for the realtor, really it's, you know, we're providing inventory solution to staging. We stage homes with locally made art, furniture, and goods. We don't go to a warehouse. We go to the community. So this is a huge distinction. Where stages have fallen short that we've heard over and over again with with realtors in Denver and Boulder is they're sourcing from the same warehouse. It's the same looking carpet or chair or rug. And it's, it's just... It doesn't help them stand out. It just looks the same and the same and the same. And they're just filling a space versus building a lifestyle within the space. So by incorporating all of these locally made pieces into the space, you're you're actually building a lifestyle because it's something that looks unique. And you're like, oh, someone like lives this way. This is so fun. Like this is cool. I could picture myself living here. I love that magazine. Oh, I actually saw that mug at the Denver Fleet. We're targeting this audience that resonates with the products that are inside. So we're helping realtors actually sell the space. That's what we believe is we're actually helping through our model. We're helping realtors sell spaces in the luxury category five times faster. Yeah, That's currently operating at. So one of my personal questions that I kind of posed to you the first time that we we connected really has to do with, with that business model. And so, you know, staging homes, working with makers, it's such a boots on the ground, physically involved thing. You know, my my mind immediately goes to like movers who are like, you know, sweating and working <laughs> two or three or four hours to like get a, you know, get a place filled. How does that kind of model stay relevant in a, a time and place that is becoming so tech focused? For sure. I mean, I think tech is king, obviously. Anything, any industry that is moving in the right direction is having the tech influence. There's no denying that for sure. The question is what should tech support within that industry? 
I don't think we should have robots delivering couches over balconies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds scary to me. Drone, or drones drones dropping in sofas. Yeah. And stuff, yeah. Maybe one day. I mean, hey, that'd be awesome. But it really, it's it's looking at like how can you use technology to speed up your business, make things cheaper, and scale. And so with us, we're very focused on building this model around um, being very nimble and quick and scalable. We understand that a lot of work goes into these homes compared to a traditional staging company that probably would be a lot easier to execute. But we think we'll continue to get more business because of, of the success we're seeing, the story we're bringing to each space. So we're, we're now toying with launching a some technology that's just going to allow us to learn about spaces digitally from realtors, plan spaces with our interior design team, and source from this massive, massive network we have. And so what we're doing is bringing the warehouse to the digital world. Right. So like I could, you know, if I, if I said, you know, oh, in six months here, I'm, I, I know I'm going to plan to sell my home, you know, this fall. Is that something where I could actually approach guest house as, as a realtor or even as an individual to, to get my house staged? 100%. We started off doing one home every two months to a home a month to now we do four to six homes a month. So this is something that we're going to continue to scale and build and where it makes sense. We definitely know that there's things that we need to take seriously and learn with each home that we do and improve. So as we take learnings and feel more comfortable to scale a little bit larger, we'll be able to do more and more homes in both Denver and Boulder, and especially with this this platform that we'll be releasing. So, you know, we're we're very focused on just delivering the best possible products. So by the time that you're selling your home in six months, hopefully we're at eight homes a month. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, so we could probably fit you in. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that brings up kind of a, well, I'll call it a home stretch question. You, you started to talk about, you know, the future here. What do you, what do you see coming next? You know, where does the, where does the business go from here? I think, you know, our business is very focused on delivering the best in class staging product. So we want to be known as, you know, if you have a really, really beautiful property, you use guest house because we're, we're just delivering the highest quality staging. You know, you look at what even some of these retailers that are trying to get into staging, like Bob Williams, Mitchell Gold, if that's the name, and then like even Restoration Hardware, some realtors will just go to them and just try to buy stuff at wholesale. And they're like, oh, we have like, you know, we invested in like $50,000 of furniture in this house. And I'm like, some of these houses that you're having a stage have $130,000 worth of product. So we are just delivering just the amount of value that realtors are getting through us is something that we want to continue to grow. So we, we always want to be focusing on adding new makers, adding new brands, helping them sell, but then helping realtors sell homes faster. So moving that five and a half times faster to, you know, eight and a half times faster, whatever it is, we want to be showing value month over month as we continue to grow. Yeah, there's things like expansion and business related goals, but I'm more focused on delivering the best possible product for these amazing homes that people are building in Denver. You know, there's so many great architects here. There's so many great developers that are very conscious with their decisions. And when they make a decision to stage, we want that to feel like a continuation of all the hard work they put in. So we want to just continue to refine our product and, and also make it easier with the digital platform. So, so it'll be much easier to use our services. 
and we can react to projects quicker and and things like that. So, you know, I think the themes for me in the next few months are make things even nicer, make it easier for everyone and and help some sell homes quicker. And then yeah, we want to continue to grow both Denver and Boulder. Boulder's really really been ramping up for us. We love that market. There's so much support there. So we want to continue to look at opportunities of how we could grow a little bit more up there, whether it's getting some storage for our sofas or, you know, figuring out how to make a little bit more of a home base there. We'll have some exciting stuff going on in about, I don't know, eight to 10 months from now related to kind of retail. And we can maybe talk about that in six months or something, but, uh, (laughs) but there's some good, good stuff going on there. We also have some exciting partnerships that we'll be announcing really soon with some some leaders in in the Denver market that have expanded nationally. So we yeah we just really want to continue to like deliver the best product because you know when we do that, every, getting back to the needs thing, everyone's happy. The realtor's happy because they're selling homes faster. The maker's happy because they have a great venue to show work and sell and get content. And then we're happy because our business is growing and we're getting more demand and we're getting more makers. So we 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 think we've identified two pretty big needs in two really, you know, interesting industries that we're passionate about, real estate and makers. So we just want to uh, continue to make sure we're supporting everyone there and in the the best possible way. Well it's truly a, a fascinating concept. And the first time I heard about it, I was I was clearly intrigued because I reached out and and I love hearing this story and and I really appreciate you sharing that story with us today and you know one of the things that sticks with me is how connected you are to kind of the the makers and the the movers and shakers and the artists and the people that are doing really interesting things out there that you're able to align with Guesthouse and the the work that you're doing there so the final question that I always like to ask is in your mind and I love this question because you know there's always great answers. Who else should we be paying attention to that is doing inspiring, groundbreaking, uh, really cool work through your eyes? Yeah. Well, <laughs> go it's to a big our question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a hard question. Well, to see all the makers, first and foremost, I think that they're doing the most groundbreaking work. So I would say, go, shameless plug, but also to help them, go to our website and you can see all this amazing work being made in Colorado, furniture, art, and goods. Um, so our website's guesthouseshop.com. From a staging perspective, we really, really love the work of these two girls in New York, the Hovey sisters, and their Instagram's Hovey Design on Instagram. And we just love their like color palette and shapes of the, of the pieces they source. And really just have been big fans of their whole approach to it. And they're both very talented interior designers. It's their background. So they bring a really elevated approach to staging that stands out even in even in like a competitive market like New York. And we love the properties they're staging. From a retail perspective, a local one, uh, we really, really love Maker in Place in Aspen. They're doing amazing, amazing stuff. It's a coffee shop. It's a retail store. Next time you're in Aspen, please swing by there and tell them we sent you. Yeah, I'll <laughs> take a look at it right really now. Friends of ours, and we're going to start sourcing coffee from them inside the spaces. And we're going to 
you know, continue to work with them as a sales channel for them in, in Denver and, and an outlet for their makers to get inside homes. So yeah, we, we really enjoyed collaborating with them and their team is just so sweet. And from a real estate perspective, if you want to see who's really conscious about you know, selling beautiful homes and really having a strategic approach to, to real estate is Jorgen Jensen and partner Stan at Slate. So they're located in Highlands. Um, they're a boutique agency, um, but they're, they're growing for sure. And we work closely with them with a lot of projects. I mean, we work with all the realtors, you know, kind of in that category that we work with include Mile High Modern and Compass and and Kentwood City Properties and and even Sotheby's. But but Jorgen and and his team are you know uh, we love working with everyone, but but Jorgen and his team we've just worked with for a long time, so we've had a lot of experience seeing them sell different price points of homes and all different sizes, and um, they just do such an amazing job. So. Really love Jorgen. And I think you had him on the podcast previously. We so did. Yeah, I was just going to say... Yeah. back to that. Yeah, if, if anyone's <laughs> interested. In, you already know. You already know. These <laughs> we we know Jorgen. Yeah. You're asking me. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, really, really great guy. And is, is as you said, clearly doing some great work. And uh, if anyone's interested, Jorgen was on the first season of our podcast. And my business partner, Bryant, um, interviewed him. So, so peel back into the archives and, and take a look at that one if you want. You know, Alex, again, thank you so much for your time today. I, I want to give you just the roll out the red carpet, so to speak. Where where should people find you online? What you're up to? Um, how can they keep in touch? Yeah. So our Instagram's active for sure. If you just follow us on Guest House Shop on Instagram, you'll just see everything from events, new makers, and like new homes that we're launching. Because of the sporadic nature of the real estate market, a lot of these homes are open for a limited time. So we try to make the pop-up announcements as quick as we can and get it out to as many ears. But yeah, stay tuned on that. You can also go to our website at guesthouseshop.com to see new products get added weekly, as well as signing up for our email list. If you sign up for our email list, you'll also always hear about new homes and new events. So uh, we're going to be doing a lot of stuff this spring. Got some properties planned in, in Rhino, Hilltop. We've got one in DU area, potentially doing some stuff by Rail Yard and Sunnyside. And then we'll be doing two more Boulder homes. So um, staying very busy this spring, but we want to uh, make sure everyone knows about what we're doing. If you're interested, we don't ever want someone to not be able to make it by. And if you're someone that just really enjoys open houses for whatever reason, on the weekends. <laughs> I know there's a whole crowd of people that just goes to open houses, even though they're not in the market. And yeah. we love that. So definitely check our page visit and you can see kind of the standing hours for all of our homes. So you can just drop by whatever you want. I love it. Um, Alex, thanks so much for joining us today. I really appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you, Chris. This is great. Transforming Cities is brought to you by Authentic Form and Function the digital design and development team that just might be a perfect fit for your next urban project. If you're a new listener, you can follow along at authenticff.com slash transforming cities, or you can simply subscribe through your favorite apps, including iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us.